If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Colossians. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Colossians is a very, very, what we call small book within the book of the Bible. Towards the right-hand side, it's only a few pages in length. Uh, it's near Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you have your Bible on your phone, you don't have to worry about that. But if you someday forget your phone, it gets a little embarrassing if you can't find some basic books of the Bible and you've known the Lord for a while. I had that happen to me recently. It's not good when a pastor can't find a book of the Bible. Uh, we get lazy. Uh, I want to encourage you, though, to open because uh, the, ti- the title of this morning's mes- message, if I can speak this morning, is very odd if you do not have a biblical or a Christian worldview. Uh, t- today's message is to live as dead. The idea in Scripture is that we no longer live for ourselves. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer our life. It is now hidden with God. And that sounds all spiritual and churchy, but the reality is living that out can be a challenge. And we want to look this morning at some background coming up to this passage of Scripture, what we're talking about, because here is the situation. Most people in this building right now either know about Christ or have known about Christ for many years. And the challenge is, how do we grow in him? How do we live every day? What does your Christian look, life look like on Monday morning at 8 a.m.? And this is really where the rubber meets the road. What is your worldview? How are you going to view the day? So the, the background passage, we're going to begin in verse 6 of chapter 2 of Colossians. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae, and he writes to them, and he's he's already well into his message here, but he really gets down to how are we to grow in the Lord? And he says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, in other words, as you have trusted in Jesus in the same way, so walk in him or live in him, rooted and built up in church. No. No in him, right? So we have a habit of going to church and doing all this religious stuff, and it's good stuff. But how we grow is we're rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So if you're here today and you're not very thankful, I'm guessing you're probably really not growing in Christ much. Maybe you're just kind of religious, Or maybe you've hit one of those valleys in your walk with the Lord. Whatever the case, he says, he gives a warning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental or the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So it's easy to get caught up in this. He's warning the church of the very thing that sometimes we get caught up in. So that's the foundation. That's how we're to grow in Christ. And then he goes on to set a picture of what that foundation looks like, our identity. And and if we don't understand our identity, we're likely to make some errors. And this is what our identity is. Verses 9 through 15, he says, for in him or in Jesus The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So that's your identity. I don't know what your self-image is today, but Christ, all the fullness of God, his spirit is dwelling in you if you have trusted in him as Lord and Savior. 
That's radically different than seeing yourself as someone who has just certain skill sets or seeing yourself through the lens of height or weight or looks or education or financial success or lack thereof. Your identity is in Christ. You've been fully filled with him. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing him over them in him. Therefore, in light of that, be warned, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with a regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Apparently, they were delving back into the, the Jewish laws. He says, don't let anyone do that. Uh, Romans 8 describes those individuals as weak in faith. We are to love them. We are to not put a stumbling uh, block in front of them. But they were weak in faith, and they were actually turning and judging those who were strong in faith. Verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Therefore, let no one disqualify you. He's using imagery of a race. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions popped off without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. He makes it real simple. He talks about here's how you grow in, in him. Well, he uses the imagery of a body and he says, that's how you grow in him. You start with the head and everything is nourished. You cannot grow in Jesus by trying to grow in something else external. You can't do that, it doesn't work. If you want a big, strong body, you don't get that by sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. We discussed that last week. I wish that were the plan. It doesn't work. You wanna grow in Jesus? You can serve in the church all you want. That just gives you the opportunity to grow in Jesus. It doesn't make you grow. And you've seen that, I'm sure, in your life. People have gone to church for years and not grown in Christ, not matured. They're as mean and nasty as they were before they were saved. We see that in the Bible with the Pharisees. You must grow in him. But there are additional problems and warnings, and that's where we get to the passage today. Verse 20, it says this. And we're going to go from chapter 2 through the beginning of chapter 3, and you'll see this. But there is a grammatical tie here. It says, if with Christ you died, hold your spot. Now look down in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ. So it's, there's, a, there's a structural tie within the text. And so as a unit of thought, verse 20 of chapter 2 all the way through verse 3 of chapter 3 is our focal text. Live as though you are dead. It says this. 
If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not touch, do not uh, taste, referring to the things that all perish as they are used? According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Warren Wiersbe, one of the commentators that I occasionally read, he's not a great scholar, but he's a great pastor, writes this about this passage in his commentary. He says this. He says, years ago, I heard a story about two sisters who enjoyed attending dances and wild parties. He's kind of dating himself there. I don't hear a lot of dances around here, do you? But maybe back in the 30s, I don't know. But these two sisters really enjoyed it, and they, they were converted and found a new life in Christ so they receive an invitation to a party, but they sent their RSVP in these words. It says, we regret that we cannot attend because we have recently died. <laughs> Entirely different perspective. He goes on to write, he says, the Christian life is a hidden life as far as the world is concerned because the world does not know Christ. Our sphere of life is not this earth, but heaven. And the things that attract us and excite us belong to heaven, not to earth. Let's dig in here a little closer. Verse 20 of chapter 2. If with Christ you died too. So you have to decide right now, if you've never been in church or maybe you're unfamiliar and you're just now hearing about the Bible, maybe for the first time today, the Bible speaks of realities one is this physical reality that God himself created. But there is a spiritual reality as well, heaven, hell. There's all sorts of spiritual realities. One of these realities is that you aren't just flesh and blood. There's something that makes you you. And you have a nature. And the Bible describes this as a fallen nature. We once had a perfect relationship with God in the beginning when God created us. But sin, by our free choice, we rebelled against God, and that relationship was separated. So there is actual the, actually the ability to have a great, perfect relationship with God, but our nature and our sinful nature separated us from God. But here's the cool thing. The Bible says that God still desires to have a relationship with us. But in order to do that, he made this perfect way in which we can come into a relationship. And it's not by our works, it's just by his grace. And he did this in history, in time, about 2,000 years ago. And he has revealed himself throughout all of creation, throughout all of time. And this is the climax of his revelation within the physical world. And it was Jesus. And Jesus willingly laid his life down as a sacrifice or a payment for your sins and mine. He did this, and God accepted it as a perfect payment. And because he did that, God raised him from the dead. He is resurrected. He is sitting at the right hand of God, as the scriptures describe this. 
And anyone who willingly humbles themselves, repents, and turns and trusts in Jesus to forgive them of their sins, but also to trust him as Lord of their lives, willing to follow him as disciples, God promises to forgive us of our sins and to grant you eternal life. But in this world now, while we're waiting for his return or someday we meet him in heaven when we die, we have the opportunity and blessing to follow him and grow in him and serve him. And so there's this reality that we make that choice to turn from our sins and die to that way of life. That's the choice that we make that he's describing here with Christ. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, or some translations describe it, basic principles of the world, Why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. What's this about? Well, in John chapter 17, verses 15 through 16, just listen to this. This is Jesus's approach to the things of the world. He says, I do not ask This is Jesus praying to the Father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, referring to his disciples and all all those individuals who would come to believe through their message, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So there's this heart attitude that Jesus has before he goes to the cross. He goes, Father, please keep them. I'm not taking them out of the world. There's this time that we live between the time that we trust in Christ and the time we die or Jesus returns that God is going to grow us. He's going to conform us to the image of Christ. That is our purpose. That's the plan. And so we are not of this world. Earlier in Colossians, even in verse 13, he says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the question is simply this, what kingdom are you living for today? That's a little tough because we have to live in the world, but we're not of the world. And that's the battle. That's this challenge to live as though we're dead in this world. Well, continuing on, he's describing in verse 22 some interesting things. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to all the things that perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. We just read earlier that apparently individuals within the church there had been twisting the Old Testament laws. We know from a New Testament perspective, Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled all the law. It was fulfilled in him. And so apparently they were taking either external religious ideas as far as certain things that you were allowed to eat or, or could not eat, and things that you could not touch, and trying to integrate them into Christianity, or they were taking Old Testament laws and integrating them in. Regardless, it's this perspective. You can take biblical truth and twist it. When you do that, or if you do that, it's no longer biblical truth. You've twisted it into your own teachings. The Pharisees, once again, were very good at this during Jesus' day. The common aspect here, he's talking about food and eating and not eating certain things. I want to remind you in Mark 7, verses 18 through 23, this is what Jesus said. He said to them, Then are you not without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside 
cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. I know snicker bars really are not good, but they don't have all that in them, right? All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You see, Jesus was saying, What is clean and unclean has nothing to do with food nutrition. A lot of people want to argue that. That's beside the point. What was clean and unclean was specifically what God declared was clean and unclean. And when Jesus declares all foods are clean in the New Testament, all foods are clean. Now, the nutritional value is beside the point. That gets into human teachings. The idea is simply this. God created this whole system of laws set apart in the Old Testament so a people would be identified as unique and holy set apart to God. But those laws were not designed forever. In a sense, they would remain forever, but they would be fulfilled in Christ. So we now have freedom. We are no longer under the law of sin and death. And so the idea that the the church at Colossae was twisting some things, whether it was Jewish or other religious ideas, is easy to buy into. You don't have a warning in Scripture if it's not an issue. It's, it's kind of like I, I said years ago, we had the opportunity to go to Hawaii, and we went up to the top of this mountain, and there's this tradition that you do in Hawaii is you go to the top of the mountain, you see a sunrise, and you get on these kind of rickety bikes, and you bike all the way down the mountain. It's really cool, unless you have a really rickety bike. As well as at the top of the mountain, it's very cold in Hawaii. It's like 30 degrees. It's, it's hard to believe this. But so to get out of the cold, you kind of sneak into the restrooms of all places, and it's a, it's a national park, so the restrooms aren't the greatest. They're, they're pretty nasty, and you don't want to be in there long, but you're freezing. So there's this battle within. But you go into the toilet, and, and behind the toilet, there's this sign that says, do not drink the water right above the toilet. Now I'm thinking to myself, why do they have to have the sign? Someone obviously drank the water, right? You don't put a sign there unless there's a problem. Like, how stupid could people be? I have no idea. But so as you're reading this in Scripture, you're like, man, that's stupid. I wouldn't buy into that. No, I don't know. Just keep in mind, uh, we are some sinful individuals, and we can really drift. Verse 23 says, These indeed have an appearance of wisdom. See, that's the thing. Some of these things you can really begin to logically try to twist and go, yeah, maybe it, maybe so, that makes sense. It sounds wise in promoting self-made religion. Remember, external stuff, whatever it is you're doing, ask yourself, am I growing in Christ? Or am I growing in self-made religion? If you grow in self-made religion, that's what you're going to grow in. If you're growing in Christ, that's what you're going to grow in. It's really that simple. And asceticism and severity of the body, but these have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In chapter 3, verse 1, he gets to that. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth. So immediately, this idea of walking in him, growing in him, is not external activities. It's internal battles. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Nod on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. So you have to remember that you died. This is extraordinarily hard. Uh, this morning, as you, you can see here, we're preparing for a, a large sports camp, 100 to 200 kids. We have no idea. If it gets up to 200, you'll hear some screaming. Ignore that. Uh, but imagine, just imagine the leader of this, Susanna, who is our children's director. You saw her earlier. If you walked up here today and you ran into her and you're like, hey, Susanna, how's all the preparation for the children's camp, the sports camp going? And she just looks at you with this great smile that she always has on her face and goes, what? <laughs> I've got vacation next week. What are you talking about? Uh, it's, I've, it's awesome. We're headed to Yellowstone. And I don't know about sports camp, but good luck with that. Right? You, you would be freaking out. So imagine, as you're sitting here today, you're all focused on Jesus, and 5 o'clock Monday morning, the alarm goes off, you hit it 10 times, and you finally get up at 7 o'clock, you roll out of bed late to work, and your heart is completely focused on the things of the world. What do you think God is thinking at that point? Are you going to grow in him that day? Are you going to be concerned with anything that he has to say? I mean, you'd, you would want to, like, fire Susanna in a heartbeat if she did that. And yet, how do we live? And see, this is the real battle. So let's be honest with ourselves about priorities. Let's take a moment about what we've really thought about setting our minds on. What are some of the priorities of the world? Here's a small list. Money, house, spouse, that rhymes. Uh, children, land, status, friends, success, education, ease or comfort, making life easy, good health, retire early, good feelings, right? We just sit trying to get good feelings on Facebook. Like, I don't like that post, I don't like that post. Oh, finally I found a post I like. That's not enough, I'll go to eBay or Amazon, buy something, make me feel a little bit better. Uh, we'll keep going. Politics, boy. We really focus on that a lot to make ourselves feel good. How much time do you spend every day focused on these things? Well, we could spend many sermons on these priorities, so to speak, but listen to just a few scriptures as you take in those and maybe evaluate your own life. Regarding money, Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For as he said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Marriage and children even, 1 Corinthians 7.9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. The idea is, ideally, you don't even marry. And if you don't marry, you don't have kids. And if you don't have kids, you're not worried about the big house and three-car garage. You're not worried about acquiring a bunch of land. It's amazing how we take God's blessings and then we begin to focus on the blessings rather than on God. Food and clothing even. Jesus in Matthew 6, 28 through 33 says this, 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Ease, Matthew 11.30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, says Jesus. If you want ease, where are you going to find that? Good health. Well, good health ends in bad health, I've discovered as I get older. There's, there's no such thing as good health. It's good health for a time is what it is. Heavenly retirement, Luke. 6:22 through 23 Jesus says blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets 1 Peter 1 3 through 5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So are any of these heavenly priorities, Christ priorities that we really should be focused on every day if we don't already have them? Well, here's the answer. Well, let's go through here. Money, we're to work with our hands so we can provide for ourselves and others. Should we be in love with money? No. Should we be in love with a house? Well, they were living in tents and Jesus didn't even have a home. Uh, it's gonna burn you can't take it with you. Spouses, we've already looked at that. Children. Now, once again, if you've already acquired these things, there is a biblical way to handle them. Not just, hey, we're going to focus on them, but we have to view these through the lens of Scripture. And you can go on down. Friends, even. As you read in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, everyone abandons him. Yet those people whom he served with in ministry, whom were growing in Christ together, they're the ones Individuals that he didn't grow up with, individuals that he had no other hobbies that we can tell. They had only one commonality, and that was Christ, and those were his friends. I know so many people who come to church looking for a friend. And God bless you, I hope you find that friend, but I honestly hope you don't find them in your hobbies. And you get together and you talk about those hobbies, the hunting, the fishing, the, the whatever, because there's emptiness in there. There's no peace in hobbies there is peace in Christ. And you go on down through that list and you realize all of that is focused on the things of this world or temporary things. What are we to do? Well, here are Christ's true priorities. This is what he says we should set our minds on. He says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Uh, next month, I, I take our leadership team through a uh, leadership meeting monthly. In chapter 13 of John Maxwell's book on leadership, he writes this. This is the, the, the title of the chapter. Do not manage your time, manage your life. 
Tomorrow morning, everyone and everything is going to be pressing upon you to steal your life. And it could be good stuff. It could be lots of ministry things and lots of other things. But if Jesus is pushed out or crowded out, you will not grow in Jesus. Because to grow in Jesus, as I said, you must grow in him. It's a mindset. You have to change the way you think. I had the pleasure this past week uh, we support a ministry at this church, and we have individuals here that are actually on the board of this ministry. It's called Vapor Sports Ministry. They around the world start sites where they, they disciple children, and they use lots of ways in which they do that, but they often disciple children through uh, soccer and other things. And the, the team leads for that ministry that's based in Alabama, they were up here this past week. It was my honor to get to go have some fun with them. So you would think that we were headed down to Hell's Canyon on a jet boat tour and got to see some bears and all sorts of cool stuff and have a great time. You would think that team and us, we were all focused on the things of this world. But it was so cool. I got to uh, take an individual with me in, in, in my car or our car. His name is Christian. He is the team lead for the Haiti site. And, if, and we occasionally go down uh, or have gone down to those sites before. We might have an opportunity in the past. But he is lead there. He is not from Haiti. He came to know Christ in Africa, where he's from. He speaks about five to seven languages. Really bright guy. And so he's sitting in the back seat of our rig as we're headed down to Hell's Canyon. And we have another uh, awesome individual in our back seat and her granddaughter. Her granddaughter is, is young and she's still growing. And Christian does something, and it's amazing. We're all talking about all sorts of stuff, and Hadley is her name. She's talking about random stuff, you know, wanting to know how much further it is, how much time do we have to go, and everyone's trying to distract her, right? So Christian says this. He begins to ask her about worship. And he, he says, can I teach you to worship? I'm like, this guy's just sitting in my back seat, and he's, he's talking to a little child about teaching her to worship. My dad would have slapped me upside the head if I was squirming around. I don't care how old I was, right? Maybe you would just be, be quiet. Quiet time in the car. That's the rule. Quiet time. But he's, he, and he starts singing a song, and he sings a song in Swahili and English, and, and slowly she's like, ah, you could tell she wasn't really buying into this. But slowly, she begins to sing. You see, his priority and his focus, his, his view of life is God. And he's not just viewing the, this child. He has no relationship with it all just through, hey, she's this squirmy little, little kid that we need to control. But he's teaching her about God. And he's praising God. He's breaking into song in the back of my, my, my rig. And I'm like, please, Lord, don't make him make me sing. Because I make a joyful noise, right? So I can sit there and I can enjoy it. I just don't want to participate, right? And that's how we kind of are, right? When we're growing. Like, man, that's really spiritual. That's cool for those people. But I'm going to sit back over here. Christ's priorities occur in everyday life. At work, at school, and at home. The question is, are you willing to set your mind on those things and view life as dead people in your priorities in this world? Nothing changes except what you seek and set your mind upon. 
Verse 4 is how we close. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me read that again. When Christ, who is your life, appears. So we're living this life not according to the world where we have the self-control to, to not set our mind on those things, but to live it according to Christ. And, and we're not chasing after riches, wealth, homes, and all this stuff. But we're waiting, and we're waiting for Christ. And he says, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a lot that could be said about the glory of God. But it far surpasses anything that you can even imagine. I've got a lot of verses, but we're running late here, so let me just simply read one. This is the Apostle Paul who was well-trained. He had this incredible life going until he met Christ. And he had even the, uh, a life that is far surpassing anything he had in this world. But everyone thought he was nuts. They even accused him of being crazy because he gave it all up for Christ. And he was constantly thrown in prison. He was constantly beaten, shipwrecked, without food, poor, abandoned by his own brothers. But in Romans 8, verse 18, he says this. Inspired by God, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's the decision. That's the choice. Do you wait? Do you sacrifice? Do you rejoice in the glory that will be revealed to us? Or do you allow all of your background, all of, you, all of the world, even well-meaning friends, to change your focus and set your priorities on the things of this world? If you do, you'll find temporary happiness, but it will be fleeting. You get older, and things end poorly in this life. But if you're looking for glory, things, I can't even say improve. It's just, it's not worth comparing. It's that different. The glory of God. Your choice. I pray you make it today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for all those individuals in my life that encourage me. I thank you for Christian and his ministry and all the, the, the things that go on at Vapor. I thank you for this church and the lives of everyone here. As we're about to get ready for an incredible week and in trying to share who you are with all these children, I just pray that it's not in our strength and our power that we try to accomplish this, but we rely completely on your strength for your glory. In Christ's name I pray this, amen.